Hello and welcome to another edition of People I Want to Be Friends With, with me, Andy Shepard. And this week I'm talking to you as a little bit of a, a, a tired Andy Shepard, I'll be honest with you, because this past weekend was my birthday. Thank you to, to those of you that, that sent me a tweet or an Instagram message, uh, giving me a birthday wish. It's massively appreciated. Um, my birthday was spent in Budapest. My girlfriend surprised me. She woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Friday to take me and, and two of my good friends to Stansted Airport where we jetted off to Budapest. I didn't know where I was going until literally we got to the gate, but Budapest is somewhere I've always wanted to go, and it's a beautiful place, uh, great food, great spas, great nightlife, which is one of the reasons why I'm a little bit tired and got straight back here to London and, and straight into filming for a, a documentary I'm currently making. So sleep has been a premium. Uh, since I clocked up another year on my age. But hey, it's worth it, uh, especially because I get to bring you conversations like this one you're about to hear with a man who I have such respect for, such admiration for, and I get to consider this man a friend, which which I'm extremely proud of. It's UFC and Irish MMA royalty, Paddy the Hooligan Hulahan. I met Paddy a few years back now um, we worked together on Bama and getting to watch MMA fights sitting next to Paddy is oh, just just an absolute pleasure he's got such insight such knowledge and he takes you through the fights as you're watching them he'll see openings you know he'll see where where fighters can go and he'll predict what's going to happen before those fighters even know it's going to happen he really is a a master of what he does. Unfortunately, his career was cut short. We will go into why that was in this conversation. Now he runs a gym, and and Paddy is truly a man of his people, and nothing shows that more than his recent uh, step into the world of politics. Um, we talk about why he's done that, what he's trying to achieve, and it really is inspirational. And, and talking about him as a man of the people, we we had this chat over Skype while he was driving around Dublin. And at points, at points he'll talk about things, he'll point things out, which, of course, this is a podcast you won't be able to see. But there's a mural he sees of himself. And at one stage, he stops and he starts talking to some of the neighborhood kids um, because he represents that neighborhood. He, he wants to interact with those people. And it's a beautiful moment. So stay tuned for that. And also, Paddy has a book coming out in October, which... Again, we touch on briefly, but if this conversation is anything to go by, his book is going to be a must-read. So please do check that out when it's released. And if you like this conversation, please do subscribe to People I Want to Be Friends With so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you really liked it, which I hope you do, why not leave us a rating and a review because it all helps the cause. So, without further ado, I give you the hooligan. Paddy Houlihan. How you been, brother? How you been? Brilliant, man. Life is good. Family life is good. The gym life is good. Yeah, political life is good. <laughs> Mate, political life. What a what a turn. We'll talk. We'll talk more about that in a minute, I think. But how how are you settling into council life? Mental. It's mental. It's just um, seeing behind the curtain is kind of crazy, Andy. To be honest, you know. Um. I think as a kid, you always grow up and you think that uh, people are always going to have other people's best interests uh, at their best interest and that the, the grown-up people in the suits are going out to, to fix the place for everybody. And 
But um, I think when you get older and then you realise that being good doesn't mean that people are going to be good to you. Yeah. I'm realising that so much more now and it's, uh, it's heartbreaking and saddening as well, but then it's kind of empowering as well because it lets you know. I mean, like, it's, it's, what a journey it's been for you from, from where you've come from to what you achieved in MMA to, to where you are now. And that's why that's what I want to talk to you because what you've done is, man, like, even before you went into politics, your journey's been amazing. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a couple of years now. Um, but the whole political thing, I think, has just taken it up a whole notch. So I just want to talk about your, your attitude to, to your life, to your, to your aspirations, what you, what you see sort of success is. Because people have different views of success. Some people think that success comes in, in money. Ah, oh, I have 20 million pounds, that's success. But, you know, for other people, it's going to the Olympics. For other people, it's climbing a mountain. For some, it's giving back to people, you know. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about on this. But let's start why, you know, from where did you come from? Where, where were you born? What was it like? Because it wasn't an easy childhood for you, was it? No, so um, actually the place I'm driving through now was it is Marable Lane. It's not where I grew up, but it's probably one of the oldest parts of Dublin. Um, there was a young kid here named Kevin Barry at 18 years of age that was uh, was actually hung from a gale not too far from here. Oh, come around. Can I talk to you turn this around for a second? Can yeah. I turn this around? Look at this. And look at where we're coming past here. Yeah. So that's the Guinness factory. We're seeing that's the, the Guinness, Guinness factory. Yeah. So uh, in 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 short, I come I come from Dublin, Andy. Yeah. Hold on, but don't flip this around again. I come from Dublin, but I come from a place in Dublin called from called. What are we doing here? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. So I come from a place called Jobstown in Dublin, which would be um would be it would be a social housing estate, so it would be a council housing estate. Um, it would be would be a pretty rough area, but it would be it would be a good community in a way that there, there, there's a lot of spirit in it, and that when when bad things happen, people come together and people help each other, you know? But then on the other side, it's, it's one of them things that, that, that doesn't get reported on. The good stuff never gets reported on. Um, only the bad stuff. So it's kind of, as time goes on, an area will always look worse because only the bad stuff gets reported. Um, I, spent some, I spent a lot of my time in, a, in Belfast, uh, in the north of Ireland as well, which, which would have been a whole, di- whole different def- uh, demographic from where I would have grew up in Jobstown. So I kind of grew in between two rule sets, if you must, or two ways of life. Um, Houlihan means proud, so proud, uh, proud man. And, and, and I've always stood by that. Success to me is, is your legacy. It's, it's what's going to be left here behind you is not going to be your money. It's not going to be your cars and your stuff. It's going to be, uh, I want to, I want to give more than I take in this yeah. life. So where, where, I want to where give... that come from? Because again, you know, in this day and age, you know, and, and years gone by, people see success. Well, a lot of people see success as I want to earn a gazillion bucks, or I want to be famous, or that kind of stuff. Where did, where did that mentality for you come from? Um, it might have been my grandfather. My grandfather William was a would have been a, a soldier in the army over here, so he would have travelled a lot. He would have went to Congo and Lebanon and. Uh, and seeing a lot of places and seeing a lot of hardship as well. So um, he used to be, he, was, he would have been like my father. I never really got to meet, I never got to meet my father. So my grandfather would have been like my father. And he would have taught me so many lessons. He, 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 says, he used to say these things to me that, that could have inspired me and stuck with me. And I don't know how I still remember them, but only as I'm getting older now, I realise that they actually are the building blocks of who I am. So one of the things he would have said to me was, um, don't seek fear, son. Seek respect because it lasts longer. And now these things are memes now. So these are memes that you see and people are like, oh yeah, well, 
these are a lot, these are things that were in my life and in my, my, my thoughts well before memes or social media or this kind of stuff. So I think a lot of these sayings can be dying, uh, dulled down these days by people seeing them a lot of the time. And where a lot of times you ask people, what's your, um, what's your, your motto for life? Like people are going to say probably probably a meme to you, not something that was like passed to them from somebody else that used that motto, that actually benefited from it and grew it and put energy to it, and then went, and then passed it on. They say a grandchild or, or a child. I, I think that those days are gone. So to me, having good ethics was always down to having having good mottos that people had used and and had benefit from themselves. That's amazing. And so, what was when you were growing up? What did you see success as when you were twelve years old? What did you want to be? And what you know, when you thought, you know, I'm going to be a grown man? What did you think success meant? Um, when I was younger, I was a little bit different than I am now. Um, yeah. I was probably I'm a little bit wild now. Okay, <laughs> you know, sometimes I would say things like, and I have to, I have to bring myself back because I'm starting to realise that like that that kindness for a weakness saying is a is is a true one so people take your kindness for a weakness if you must and you don't even realize it so to be nice you have to have a huge reserve of nasty because if you're going to be nice people are just going to take advantage of you over and over and over again so for for me in my younger life I would have been probably a lot more it means if I trust you or I'm loyal to you, then that means you trust me and you're loyal to me. Whereas I'm not getting older, I realise that that's not the case. So I probably would have been walking at a disadvantage before by just giving myself to people too, too willingly. When, when now I'm in a situation that I'm older and I'm wiser and I can pass that on. So now I've been around so many different types of people and I can nearly judge who deserves a piece of you and, and who doesn't. So... It's, it's easier to be able to judge who, who I'm putting my time into and what I'm putting my time into compared to when I was younger. When I was younger, I was just mental. <laughs> I was like a firecracker. I was firing around the box bedroom. <laughs> you get in a lot of trouble when you were a kid? Um, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Not, not too much trouble. Not crazy trouble, to be honest. Like, um, like I never, like I never really got into, into trouble. Like I wouldn't have been able to get a visa for the UFC, so I don't have a criminal record. Um, which is which is a, a a thing that people would probably assume if you must. I know it's terrible, but people would assume that you have a criminal record because of the house in the state I grew up in and because of where I'm from. And um, so we don't have any criminal record. I'm as I'm as clean as they come. Um, I got in a little bit of trouble as uh, under 18, would have been messing around the streets and maybe fighting or getting drunk somewhere or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people you grew up with. What are they doing now? What What was the the normal route, shall we say, for people who, who grew up where you grew up? Um, I would say, um, I would say the people that made it are the people that are are alive and that are not on drugs, um, or are not on like. And when I say drugs, dr- uh, drugs are a, are a social medicine to people. People just look at drugs as like dismissing them in a way, but like people are trying to numb the pain somehow, you know, and. Sometimes it's weed and sometimes it's alcohol or, or even something worse that drags you down a different road altogether. So I think understanding that is, a, is, is extremely important. Understanding addiction and understanding um, the criminality that's, a, that, that's, corrected, that's connected to that. Because if you get caught with, say, a 20-euro bag of weed or something like that when you're 18 years of age, 
there's a good chance when you put your name in to get a job now in the job that you want to get at 25 years of age, your drug conviction is going to stop that because you've got a drugs conviction. You've got a, you've got a possession of drugs. You know, so the, uh, there's a girl over here, Lynn Rowan, that has been getting uh, trying to decriminalise the idea of being able to take back them things. So as a few years, I, I remember being in Canada 10 years ago and seeing advertisements for this as well people being able to clear their, their criminal record in a way after so many years. Because this, this it, it follows you, it goes after you, and and it keeps going after you. You're a different person from, yeah, from the age of 12 to 18, from 18 to 24 and onwards. Yeah, you're, you're a different person and you know laws change, times change and when those things hold you back, I mean, as you say, you, you start at a disadvantage when you just make one slip up. And that's it. And, 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 and people don't understand the situations that involve social um, surroundings as well, you know. So, as I said, when you're young, especially when I grew up, loyalty and, and looking after and having each other's back is is very important. It's what it's what you kind of survive on, if you must. But people get themselves into trouble through that as well, by an accident. You know, you might your friend might get into a fight and then and you decide someone jumps in and then you jump in and then all of a sudden you know, you know what I'm saying it could be Absolutely. one of these decisions and all of a sudden now you're getting done for, for criminal behaviour and GBA or whatever now it's not me I'm not talking about me yeah. I'm as clean as they call me yeah <laughs> not me squeaky clean <laughs> but uh, I'm just, I'm going to, the situations that they will call these are them people say well you shouldn't do that but it's very easy to sit in in some middle class house in the state or higher class house in the state and say that you know yeah and then, look, of course, we all know you from MMA. How did a young boy from the Estates find MMA? Because when you started, it wasn't the, the huge, global, globally renowned thing it's kind of grown in today. How did, how did you find that sport? Um, at the time, I was having my first kid. Well, not me, but um, my first kid was on his way. And I just, I just remember having this feeling in my stomach that I just did not want to be a waster. I did not want to be just... Just another guy hanging around the street. I, uh, just is that, that what you were doing? Is that what you were doing at the time when you had your first kid? Were you just, as you put it, were you just kind of heading down that wasted route? No, not really. I was, well, I was hustling, as I would call it. I was, I was working. I was doing, I was doing everything. I was working two, three jobs. I was working in a chipper. I was, I was running a little DVD round. I was, I was, I was trying to make it in every little direction that you could. That drive and that work ethic was always there. So I wasn't just standing there on the corner as people would see or whatever. Um, I was trying to make it, um, and then when that came, then I ended up joining um, when when SBG was only was only in its nobody knew about it. People would have called it uh, SPG or whatever, mixed up the letters all the time, you know. So it came a situation that uh, I joined that gym uh, uh, thanks to a man called Jim Donnelly, which was one of my my great friends' fathers, and. Uh, and well, I remember when I found that, that I just found this, uh, it was like I found a raft or something. I found a family. I just knew what I wanted to do. And it was like, so all I have to do is fight these guys. <laughs> and that's it. So to me, it was like, well, I'm, we, you fight, I'm fighting on the regulars. Like, you can be fighting over the game of football. You can be fighting was, over something. Was there a, a lot of fighting for you growing up, just in your area? Was that something that, that went on? Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. You would you would get into a fire, a knock, as we would call it. Oh, yeah. You know, you would, regularly, regularly. Like it, it could be over football. It could be over. It wouldn't be that serious, but it just it just kicks off sometimes, you know. And, and that's it. And you're just fighting in that way. And were you good? Uh, at, were you before you started training? Were you good in those knocks? Were you were you winning more than you lost? Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. 
I was always into fighting. Um, I, 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 um, as I said, I never really met my dad, so I, I kind of found like a, an adult figure in, in a lot of people. And uh, I had an uncle named Uncle Paul, so my, um, and he he would have showed me how to fight. He would have showed me techniques and stuff like that as well, because because he could fight, and my grandfather could fight, and and my my other's ma, ma's brothers could fight. So the Hulahans could always fight. I saw somewhere that you said that you can tell you're you're a fighter, that you're a warrior through your genetics, because you know you. you you're saying, look at me, you know, I don't need to eat that much, I don't need to take on that much, um, so I'm ready to fight whenever it goes, that you're sort of born and bred, and you look down your lineage, they're probably all warriors from years gone by. Absolutely. Right, like, if you look at my name, my name goes back to the year 200 here in Ireland. So we were, um, and it goes back to the high kings in Tipperary. So we, we, we would have been swinging swords at people long before, the, the, it was called the O'Hulikahane, which is my name, which means proud man, which got translated to, to Houlihan. Um, now, some of it is spelled H-O-U-L-O-H-A-N, but the real one is spelled H-O-L-O-H-A-N, which is my name. So some people left the country and some people stayed. And when I looked down, my bloodline stayed. So we're, we're, I know for a fact that I would have been on some Norse field somewhere or, or some Tutankhamun or some Celtic warrior battle going down. There's no doubt that I would have been involved in that stuff if I had been back in that time. Because, um, like, even now, I just I try to stay as real as you can to loyalty, to to like the understanding of why to do something. I don't let I don't let kind of society get in the way of my judgment of of decisions that come to that. Because as I said, in between everything else, like I kind of ha- I don't say I have mine already, but like I'm 31. Uh, in Ireland, you would be considered. As a legend, it would be for, for, for fighting a few fights, for holding the flag. But people holding that flag, going out there and, and, and fighting, that means a lot. Actually, hold on, I'll show you. Just look at this. Look at that. Beautiful. Mate. You see that Ireland flag fluttering? See a beautiful in the Irish flag, sky behind it. It gives me shivers. Not the shopping center. We fly this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, to be able to stand behind something like that and run out onto it, like kind of uh, the equivalent of a battlefield with it, and deliver to the Irish people that they are reminds us. Like, and that's why we're so such good fans because even they don't know that it's genetic, it's in your blood, it's them little memories inside your muscles inside it that loves the victory of this, you know, loves the, loves the, loves the fight of your must, you know. Had you done much sport? I mean, had you got much athletic background when you walked into SPG? Yeah, well, I would have played football. Uh, well, soccer that would have been like, but I, did, I would have played a little bit of Gaelic football. I would have played a little bit of hurling in school. Um, I played rugby as well. I played rugby for the school. Um, I boxed as a kid, so I would have. I think every kid boxes as a as an Irish kid. I think it's just it's in your DNA. You know, you have to do some some. Uh, so you do some rounds for sure. You gotta um, get ready for those kid, knocks, Paddy. Everyone's gotta get ready for a knock. When we were when we were kids, Andy, right? We used to take boxing gloves out onto the street, right? And we'd be in a garden, and we'd be lining up, and we would be punching their head off each other. We used to have this shed around the back, uh, my, my mate Sean's shed, and we used to have a bag up in it and stuff like that. And we'd have a sparring ring, and we'd be running little boxing circuits in and you know. And we would have been only probably about 10 years of age here. But we were getting ready for fighting other people. We weren't getting ready for boxing, you know. We were getting ready for looking at, like, being able to look after each other and, and, and exercise our ego we must. But I remember times where, like, we would be punching their head off each other. I remember reading BJ Penn's book, and he's talking about the same thing. And I remember, being, like, it's just amazing, like, Hawaii and Jobstown were doing the same thing. 
it, it, to me, that's that's incredible. You know what I mean? So, so you went to SPG. How old were you when you got to SPG? When did you find uh, that? I think I was seventeen or eighteen years of age. So I was I was old in, in the terms of like people. Oh, no, you have to do that for the rest of your life, but that's just your. But you have to do that for your whole life. You have to do martial arts in four years of age to become a UFC fighter. You don't. That's just another excuse that uh, you will use to not do it. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But if it is, don't ever let any excuse stop you from doing it. And whatever, if you want it, you go and get it. And I tell you, I'm living proof of that. If you want it, like my girlfriend at Chelsea just be like shaking her head at me sometimes, like, how the fuck do you do these things? Because <laughs> I just do it. I just pull my socks up and I don't care. I keep the right road, I stay loyal, I stay true to people, I don't fuck anybody over to make it to the top. I think they're shortcuts. Fucking someone over is a shortcut, you know what I mean? But when we're standing at the end of my funeral and my grave, there'll not be one man standing there, Andy, that'll be able to say that I fucked them over. Not one. So when you walked into SBG, who was there? Because you were there, you're one of the originals, aren't you, of SBG. Who was, who was in there when you walked in when you were a teenager? Um, I, I would say Owen Roddy's one of the original originals because Owen Roddy would have been competing at that time and Ashlyn and Daly. So Ashlyn and Daly, um, uh, a guy named Mick Leonard as well, never gets enough praise. Mick Leonard used to call him uh, Nancy Boy or Sissy Boy. I think it was Sissy Boy. <laughs> used to call him, uh, but he was an animal. Uh, there would have been a guy named um, Rob the Dog Quinn. Uh, so Rob the Dog would have been my weight class. And I remember like, wow, this, this fella's deadly. You know what I mean? Uh, when I first went in, then, it would have been Ashland Daly that incre- uh, in, in, uh, would welcome to me, if you must. So yeah. Ashland Daly is, like, is another amazing athlete, uh, Irish warrior, that would have been a female warrior on a battlefield swinging an axe. Um, she was just so determined at that time in her life, um, so motivated to, to bring women's MMA up, even when nobody else believed in it. So um, when I first went in, uh, a few classes in, I don't remember what it is, but I remember... A few classes in, I remember, just, I remember just getting a few a few slaps off Ash, and I just could not do really anything about it. And I was I was hooked ever since because I was I was motivated. And then I think a few weeks later, then Connor came through the door, and and Tom Egan would have been there, and and then Carl Pendrick came through the door, <coughs> Chris Fields, and Philip Mulpeer, all of the ones that kind of Adam LeBoff would have been there. Um, but yeah, definitely the one up on Rack Hill, the little gym we had in Rack Hill was where they where they where they start building and and then obviously John was there as well. It's legend. I mean when you look when you look down the names you just mentioned, they really are the ones who are considered you know, the Irish MMA legends. What was what was the scene like in Ireland? Like you, you walked in there and you said you wanted to you want to try and do something, achieve something. <coughs> was there much going on in terms of an Irish MMA scene at that time? Was there a route for you to go, hey, look, I can you know, I can make a living out of this? Oh, definitely. You never consider making a living out of it, that's for sure. I once fought a lad for 80 euro and the hotel cost me 120. <laughs> All right? <laughs> well, I didn't get a charge. He was brilliant. So, <laughs> look at the sun on that beard there. That's look at that. You've, you've cultivated yeah. that beard very well, Paddy. That is a beautiful <laughs> beard. Okay, someone said, when did you stay at ground that beard? About 21 years ago. <laughs> never <laughs> shaved a day in your life. <laughs> Never shave the day we're like, do you know how the best shave you can have is? Go on. That's the best shave. <laughs> um, so, when, uh, what was the question again, sorry, Andy? So, yeah, you, got, you know, there wasn't much industry there because you said you, you didn't want to be a yeah. waste, you didn't want to be on the streets, but when you walked into that gym, let's be honest, there wasn't 
it wasn't like it is today where people go to, to SBG and they can see what you've done, what Connor's done, what, what a whole load of guys have done have gone to the UFC and made a good living for themselves. There was none of that. So it kind of feels like you guys were doing this That's, because you see you them hands it. there, Ali. See them hands. I see them. They built that field. That's it, what. That's it. That's you you guys built this that thing. That's what it is. Well, listen, the, 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 youth, the youth are obviously going to benefit of, of what they, they, the elders do. You know what I mean? And we would have benefited of what the other elders did. But we just happened to benefit uh, and put it into action more than anybody else did in Irish MMA history. And that's just, that was just the time that we were at at that time. We were ready. We were the ones who were getting the information, but we were the ones who, who stepped through that, that, that arch in the door and, and, and put it to work. Uh, and put the put the country and put the, the gym and put SBG on the map. So at that time we were we were the, we were the founding fighters. So there was fighters before us. So there would have been people before us that would have done it, but they didn't do they didn't do what we did. We made a mainstream, and that's just no one can no one can deny that. Could you, so could you see the potential for it when you walked in there? Could you see the potential for the sport? And is 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 what's happened now what you always thought would happen? Um, see, I don't know. I think I think when we were coming up, we were very close knit, and we were very very close knit. We were um, we really really backed each other, and we wanted each other to win. You know what I mean? We we weren't fighting. Um, they're not saying that people are, but obviously it changed. The the the, 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 dev, the demographic of the scene changes, and the way things um, move forward change. So, like obviously, social media is a huge part of uh, life now, but it's definitely part of MMA. So. Like guys are obviously going to be looking at like who's the bigger fire, who's the biggest guy in the team, who has the more sponsors, who has the more money, who has who has all of these kind of things. Where we didn't give a fuck about all of that. We literally wanted the guy to beat the next guy because we just wanted them to win. And I think when you go down that road and you go that route with it, all the other bullshit just fades away. So instead of having say groups of people that are friends, um. Or say you have one fighter in a, in a in a club up Northern Ireland that's doing well, but he's on his own and he doesn't have a huge traction behind him and all. Probably his skills are not going to judge where he's going in this day and age. That's just being out straight. I think um, I think if you've got a huge following, that goes much more ahead than what your skills are. Now, we've been backstage together, Andy, and we've seen this. We've seen this ourselves, you know, that some people that should be getting in, they shouldn't. Fight. They have not earned the earned the, the ropes to be fighting same people and all. But so as I said, social media changes all of that. And if people say people's excuse to that would be, yeah, but everyone loves a good build up to a fight. You know, I don't give a shit about the build up. Do you know what I like? I like the fight. I like to see one guy fighting back, and I like to see the other guy fighting back, and I like to see him nearly winning. Like wrestling, if you must, you know. But we don't see that. We see a big build up to a fight. We see press conferences. And if it's not two good fighters that are doing this, then we're not getting the end product, which is a good fight. We get to see one guy going and clapping another guy out in a few minutes, yeah. in a few seconds. Which, if we wanted to do that, we'd just go down the road to the chipper on a Saturday night and watch two bleeding lads fighting and one lad that thinks he can fight getting clapped out by another lad. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Obviously, you're, you know, you're in the sport. You appreciate the sport for what it is because you can see the minuta. You can appreciate a good fighter. But let's be honest, most people can't do that. And people watch the UFC, they watch Bellator, they watch Bama and those kind of organisations, primarily because they want to be entertained. So when you've got you know, people, big name celebrities who come in, we've got a big media following, and they're bringing the eyes in. Do you think that's good for the sport? Or do you... Because they're bringing eyes in, that, you know, they're saying, hey, come and watch this sport, come and see what it is. 
or would you prefer to have people with less personality going out there and demonstrating good score? Because I mean, look, Connor, Connor's amazing at this. Connor's got both. Connor's an incredible fighter, but he's brought that entertainment. Let's let's call it this that WWE style to UFC. He, you know, he, he does the press conferences. He draws a lot of attention. So he's that hybrid. So do you think it's good to have? You know, we talk about Aaron Chalmers. We've we've done Aaron's fights. You know, and I've sat there with yourself and with with John watching his fights and. He's got a lot of respect for the sport, but a lot of people say, hey, look, he, he's there because he's got a lot of followers. In one sense, I see that, but in another sense, it's like, well, actually, yeah, it's, it's entertainment. He's, he's being put on TV because he's brought those fans with him. But that's just mathematics. Uh, where did you reckon, if, you, if I was to ask you on one chart, where do you reckon Connor put his time? Did he put it into building up his followers and building up his wittiness and building up this? Or did he put it into um, sessions that started at nine o'clock in the night and, and finished at one o'clock in the morning in a cold, wet gym in the middle of middle of Dublin somewhere when no one knew who he was? So there's a huge difference there. And that's where people are confusing this and people mix that up. People think because you have numbers that you're going to bring people in and sell tickets and do this and, and everyone will get likes off and all. And woo! Whatever. No one gives a fuck. Well, I don't give a fuck about that anyway. Uh, I... I Obviously, I want to see someone coming in that, that's going to bring numbers to the sport and it's good for the sport and all. It is. But then after that, boy, it's just, just, what are we doing anymore? You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the point of someone going to the gym now and building up their skills in martial arts to become the best martial arts on the planet when they could be going off and building up their, their TV skills somewhere else or, or becoming... Bleeding, they can go on Love Island. Famous. Someone goes on Love Island, they get yeah, a million you followers. Go on Love Island, there's a good chance you'll get a Bellator contract or a... Or Obama contract, Obama's in around. But that's the truth, isn't it? Like, think about it, right? If Tommy Fury wants to come out here and fight for Bellator, do you reckon he's good, good tomorrow? Well, maybe he needs to learn to take do some um, some grappling. But yeah, you know, people are gonna people are gonna book Tommy Fury now because he's got one and a half million followers. Of course, he would have got booked before, and he was getting booked before because he's Tyson's little brother. That's marketability. But that's now gone up tenfold because he's been on Love Island. He's a handsome motherfucker as well. He's a good-looking like. boy. He's I a good-looking boy. I wouldn't that. want to punch him in the face. And he can box as well. Yeah. So it's just a got some long arms on him. Got some all long I'm going to say is, if he came out here tomorrow, do you think that Bellator wouldn't sign him with a contract if he was interested? I would have thought so. We were following like him. You know, it's, of course it's they would. But like, that's, so what are we doing anymore? Are we fighting? Or is this, is this like the followers fighting championships? Or is this insta-fighting championships? Or is this... Do you know, like... Oh, yeah, yes. I, I I completely agree with you. I think there's a fine line people have got to find because, you know, I've you know I've, we, we've hosted Bama together and you know I've worked with the UFC making documentaries for stuff and stuff for them. And when I talk to young fighters, they work on their skill because it is a skill. That's what the sport is about. But so many of them, when I talk to them, and this is even in the UFC, and I say, hey, look, we need to get some we need to get some content from you. We need to get an interview off you or something to put out there. A lot of them are like, no, 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 I'm not doing that stuff. And I think a lot of young fighters, they forget that. As much as this is a sport, when they get to the big leagues, they're getting the big money because it's entertainment. And I'm not saying they should go out there and go on Love Island and do things like that, but they've got to learn that they've got to build themselves as a brand. Because, again, we go back to Connor as the blueprint of this. I'm not saying everyone should try and be Connor because there's only one Connor. But the, you know, to give media that time to let people know who they are. Because, it, you know, whether it's right or wrong, the UFC, Bellator, they do book people if there's some noise around them. Yeah, but they, they're, they're, there's people out there, right? Here's a, here's a good one. There's a guy named Paul Yeo, right? He's 9-0 in Ireland. And he's an animal, right? 
and we wouldn't know that I probably even know him or what, but I watch everything. I see everything. And the idea is that he's an animal. He's not fighting for Bellator. This guy's an animal, Andy. Do you know what I mean? Can't get a job. He's had no... I can't get a, a fight, which would be a job. He's had nine pull-outs in a row, would you believe? Nine pull-outs in a row. And he's thinking about giving up the sport now. He's thinking about... He's just like, what the fuck do I do now? And I don't agree with him. What does he do? If nobody will fight him because he's too good, so, so what's, what, what, does, what does a guy like him do? So that, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what, that, that's what I'm fearful of. Fighters that are really, really good that are not going to be fighting in the best possible places because they don't like doing social media. And some people just don't like going on Instagram or don't like going on Facebook. But that, I mean, people are going, yeah, well, that, that, that's the reason why. But like, they don't like doing it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to put their personal life up for everyone to see it and act like a clown online. They don't want to do that. But if they're a good fighter, they should be able to do it. If, you, if, if someone can run a... Uh, one track faster than Usain Bolt. Does anyone give a fuck about social media for right. if, 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 if Usain, I mean, Usain Bolt's a huge star because he's got a great personality, but look, if he could run, if someone else can go out there and run 9.5 seconds, they could be mute and they would be a superstar. You're right. You're completely right. Because that, that's the, that's the main part of it. You know? What if somebody can, if somebody can, <laughs> oh, you don't know. They, they, they're mute. That's a great way, yeah. If someone was in mute, does that mean that you can't be an MMA fighter now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Again, just it's, it's grown in such a way that the, the lines between the sport and entertainment are, are getting blurred so much. But let's talk about you when you got to UFC. So, of course, you, could, you took part in, in Tough. You went to, to Tough. How was that experience for you? Because I think by that point, Connor was, Connor was the first from your gym to go to UFC, wasn't he? Yeah, Connor had signed. So, so this, this is, and this is a part that goes. I, I do get messages and people saying like, like you're very, uh, like I bet you're very thankful for John for getting you that contract for the UFC and stuff like that. No, no doubt, John had a, had a an aspect and a, and a say in that. But like the the real aspect was that we went to Vegas and got that contract. You know, like so when when Connor was going to fight in Sweden, I was on my way to Vegas. So Connor was going to fight Marcus, uh, or not sorry, Marcus Brimage at the time. And I was on my way to Vegas, so I booked my flights and the other before I was up. So to me, this was the time. He's had to get something. I'm gonna arrive on the door. How is getting on, Uncle Dana? You know what I mean? And 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 this is gonna be it. And this was kind of the way it happened as well because when I got there, you now they didn't know who I was until I got into the last. Um, I think it was last thirty people to be picked. So I wasn't in a room. So alright. There's John's fella, there's Connor's fella. I had to hit pads, I had to grapple, I had to do it. And there was 350 people in that room. Now, when I was getting brought through, there usually is 30 people brought through, but it would have been only 16 because it was male and female. So not only did the selection get halved, it got halved in a way. So uh, there was half of the chance of getting in now, but there was more people than ever at the tryout because it was male and female. So um, when I got down to the last, I think it was the last 40, I got to get do an interview here with the producer and with Dana. And then, so I just walked me magic. How's it going? How are you getting on? Did you, did you, did you. <laughs> if they let you open your mouth, there is no test you're failing. There we go. If the hooligan so opens his mouth, he's winning. Yeah, that's it. It was an interview. They, they had to interview me and I just told them about like the, 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 the invasion uh, that the Irish people do. So we have a comedian over here called Tommy Turner and he has a way that he describes how we invade him now. 
Now, the English turn up with guns and tranks, and that gets people's back up, right? We call it infestation. We don't call it invasion. So we turn up armed with sleeping bags and phone numbers. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ten of us go into a cabin. Uh, what are you doing? 700 of us walk out in a few weeks. <laughs> That's amazing. So, you, t- tough enough, you, I think you went out in the first round, didn't you, in tough? Yeah, so yeah. I got beat in the first round. I got wrestled fucked to death by mm. a guy named... Uh, actually, I don't even know his name anymore. I don't think anybody knows his name anymore. <laughs> didn't turn out as well as your career. And so, but how did that feel? Because you went out there, and of course, you know, tough was... That was a lot of people's entry. So, to go out like that... Did it feel like the dream was over at that point, or was there still there was still hope? There was still a door open for you. I came home with a double whammy. Right in that fight, I slipped my disc on me in my back. Right, so I literally had to lie on the playing floor in like economy class, getting flown back to Dublin with not a penny in my pocket and my dreams in my back pocket. Do you know what I mean? So that's kind of basically where I was left with after that. And it's just I don't know. There's been so many downs that I just. Just down the hill. I don't know what happens, but even if I'm having a bad day, it comes to a certain stage in my day where I just say, fuck it. And I just get really motivated and I just go after it and go back at that day. And, just, and it usually works out all right. So when I came home, I'd slip my disc in my back. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't train. I couldn't do anything. You know? So I was in a bad way after that. And mentally as well, I was in I was in a dark place I was. But um, I was still a fighter and I was always going to fight. Like, when I met the doctor that was going to do the surgery on me, his name was Keith Sinnott. The man was like an angel. He was sent to me. He was sent to me. I'm telling you now, I met this guy, and I just knew straight away. I said to him, listen, do you want, like, I don't think that we'll survive if I don't get back fighting. And he knew exactly what I meant. Because I said, this is, this is everything I am. This is everything I have. Uh, my, like, my, my DNA is, is fighting. I'm not good at anything else. This is what I'm good at. And I need to get back. And he said to me, don't worry, I did the surgery on Paul O'Connell. And Paul O'Connell would have been a huge, um, you the rugby? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Paul O'Connell would be an Irish prop and he's huge. Yeah. He's a big red fellow. right? Smashes lads he does, right? And so I went straight from his office to watch as much Paul O'Connell videos as I could. And he's smashing lads out of it. And I was just, I'm just laughing my head off. <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to be all right. And, that was, and then, so he did the surgery on me, and I jumped up. I was brand new, perfect. Oh, yeah, Andy, absolutely all was good. And uh, a few weeks went by. I was pra- I was getting my stuff back together. I was um, doing all my rehab, and then I slipped the disc again. So, and the second time was the worst time. The second time, I must have been just kidding with me, because the second time, I had to sleep on the landing window. I had to put a pillow. I couldn't start. I couldn't lie down. <laughs> I had to stand up for like days. My days, I remember, ah, oh, it was funny. It was funny, but it wasn't funny, you know what I mean? But I couldn't sit down. But, but in all of these moments, like, all of these moments, when people are online on Twitter and all, on, on Instagram, and, oh, you should have done this, you should have that, you should shut the fuck up, mate. I had to sleep for standing up for three days. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, they don't see them things. They don't see them sacrifices. And you talk about the stuff people don't see as well. Even when people sign with the UFC, it's not a lot of money when you first side. And going back to sort of your situation, when you were coming through the ranks, because what you were competing for five, six, seven years before you signed with the UFC, I think your first fight was, yeah. So it, we, you have to work other jobs, you have to, to live a normal life as, as well as, as training, were you? 
when you have a job and then you get if you're lucky enough to be able to put hours towards your skill and career, then someday you might have a career and a skill. So that's the way that's why you say to my own fighters now as well. You're in a coffee place or you're in some sort of Burger King or something like that. This is your job. And if people say, Yeah, yeah, what do what else do you do outside here? I don't know, we do nothing. All right, well, this is your career as well. Because that's the only thing you're putting hours towards. So you can put hours towards your job, which is the money to get to wherever you're going, and then put hours towards your life uh, or towards your career. Then you then you then you have a chance of of not that being your job for the rest of your life, you know. So I think that and that brings energy to that place in any way because then all of a sudden you're not going in there all day. Some days you're going in looking at your manager saying, oh, "I can't wait to tell you the fuck off." Do you get what I mean? Yeah. What, 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 were what, what, was, what, were, what were you doing throughout that time? Because again, you started MMA because partly because you just had your son and you're like, I need to make something of myself. But still, a lot of people might think, hang on a minute, so instant success. No, it took you a long time to get there. And so, so what, what were you doing day in day? What, was your, what were your jobs throughout that time? So at that time, I was working um, as a, I, I just got, got my qualifications as a fitness instructor. I finished school. So it wasn't long finished school either. So, um, we finished school uh, late over here so I think I finished school at like 18 years of age as well so we were still studying and still in school and, and still uh, working on the side uh, on the video round so I was working on this DVD round uh, I tell you it's, it'll be in me book it will be <laughs> uh, the stories on this round are mental oh, the day you bring it's out like a book it, is the day I read my next book because that's mate I can't friends. wait for the hooligan story so don't read any books lately yeah Boy, <laughs> don't read any books uh, soon because it might be sooner than you think Oh, amazing. So again, you, you had to hustle this entire time you were hustling. And then, of course, Tough happened, but then eventually you did get to the UFC. I think it was like, what, a year later after Tough, something like that, you got your, your first run out in the UFC. Um, is that when right? I lost it, when I lost in, in, in Tough, I went straight down to the table, straight to Dana. And Dana could see it, because Dana even said, that Josh Hill fella, whatever his name was, is, oh, I hate him. He ruined that fight, and he could see it. Like, my elbows were swollen from cracking them off his head but trying to take me down. I'd say I probably hit him 150 times to zero. All he was trying to kill him. All he was trying to do was hold on. And, and it's the same thing. So he was 9 and out at the time as well, this kid was. So he was unbeaten. So he was in there and I was I was, I was trying to kill him to be basically with me elbow. But he kept wrestling. And, you know, I wasn't prepared. I have the skills now that I didn't have then to be able to, to reset them situations. But I went straight down to... Dana in front of Ronda and Misha sitting there at that table and I said, listen Dana, you come to Dublin, shake my hand as a man that you'll give me a shot at 125. And he's like, 100% sound. Because like, yeah, that was easy. Shook his hand on it and then when the UFC were coming to Dublin, that, then I was waiting. I was waiting on that phone call. That's amazing. So again, you, you, you made your, your debut. I mean, in fact, you had your first and your last fight in Dublin. And it's crazy. Over the course of, I think it was 15 months, you went from First on the card to main event. Mental, isn't it? That's, that's crazy. So, I mean, how... Let's go to that final fight in your career because it's, it's, it's one that I think sticks in a lot of people's memories. Um, you went from, I think, two, three days' notice, you were put into that main event position. Yeah. How did that feel? Because huge card um, in your hometown at the Three Arena. How did it feel to have that added pressure be put on your shoulders? Uh, it was heavy, all right, but I found out on Twitter, would you believe, Andy? Well, see, so no one told you? No. No one told me. Well, see, so, so you what, woke up one morning and was like, hey, I'm, I'm main event. My girlfriend did. That was, <laughs> that was, that was the only kill part of it. 
she was like, it was actually the day before, the day before she said you're a co-main event. I'm like, oh, he's deadly. And then the day after, it was like in a main event. And I was like, you're bullshitting with me now. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, no, true. It was the main event. Nobody had ringed me. Nobody had asked me. Really? Nobody had told me nothing. Nobody had that, shit for you as a fighter, because of course you know you knew you were fighting that night. You you knew who you were fighting, you knew where you were fighting. Does it change your perception of the fight knowing that you're then in the main event? Do you know what it changes? Andy? It changes the number on me check. <laughs> That's what it would have changed. So when it's announced to everybody in Dublin already, you kind of miss that opportunity to be able to say, "Yeah, sound. I will do it. I will do the main event." That I should have been doing from the start. I should have been doing that in, uh, that main event from the start. Uh, I think it was Irish Joe Duffy or something like that that came into me, you know what I mean? Irish Joe Duffy or something like, come on, Irish is, does, the Loch Ness Monster's more bleeding Irish than Irish Joe Duffy. That's what I think, you know what I mean? So I should have been fighting that main event from day one. It should have been the council kid that had opened the show and he was able to go down there. Because what I would have been able to do is I would have been able to change my little bum life with that, that, that fight, you know what I mean? Yeah. Think about the sponsors that I would have been able to bring to me. Think about the the amount of numbers I would have been able to bring. Regarding That's a good now point, because again, back then, the Reebok deal wasn't in play back then, was it? So oh, you guys get so, sponsors. And so if you'd known oh, no, that... I think it was. I think it was, but I still would have been able to, I still would have been able to deal with things on the outside. Yeah, you, you know, if you'd had two months' notice, you could have put a lot more pennies in Absolutely. your pocket. And I was telling people, people said to me, the UFC are coming back to Dublin, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the main event. I was saying that to people eight months before, whatever many months before. And they were like, really? Are you? And I'm like, yeah, who's the main event? Where did you see this, Andy? Where did you watch Slow Down now, Chelsea? Where did you see this? This is me housing this thing. This is where you live. Paddy's just showing us where he lives. Is that you? Oh, my word. There's a, <laughs> is that you? Yeah. There was a mural of the hooligan's face on the side of a building in your hood. That's... Mate, that's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> and, and going back to going, I mean, that, that just shows what the Irish, what you guys, you guys, you guys are a clan. And just going back to that last fight, I was watching the weigh-ins, and you had the interview after the weigh-ins, and you know, you're saying it's it's not me fighting him tomorrow, it's us fighting them, and that's something that I always remember because you guys, you. When you're there, and the same with you know a lot of the Irish people, Connor yourself. When you go out there, you, you're not just representing yourself. You really, and you, this is not some bullshit you know promo line. You you guys really are representing your country. And you know, again, as as Connor's been going and going, we've seen the Irish be represented as this traveling clan. As this, you guys travel, you guys support each other, you guys take over Las Vegas when those big fights are on. That's something that I think is absolutely incredible and shows that the, the, as you go back to loyalty, the loyalty that you show to everyone you're with, when, when you go up, everyone else goes up. And that's, it's, it's like that, a lot, a lot of sayings get made and a lot, like you said, that's here, like it's kind of, this is not this made up thing. And, and you are right because there is a lot of bullshit behind that. Some people stand behind that flag and they do this and they do that and all. The worst this is deep, you know what I mean? This goes way deeper than... And, to, and the ability to be able to go out there and fight someone behind this is like, it, it, it's stuff of dreams to us because that's what you want to do. You want to represent your country. You want to represent your people. And the thing is because because Ireland is such a nation that gets, um, I don't know, it gets a little bit of a, like a token paddy kind of thing. You know what I mean? Ah, the drunken Irish. Ah, they're great fun. They do this kind of like. But there's a serious to us as well. You know, there's this, there's this mental serious uh, seriousness to us as well that, that 
we we've stood up to an awful lot of oppression. We've uh, we fought off and off and like even Brexit coming down the road here. Um, you, you can see people are like, "Why are the Irish so angry?" Like, um, I don't know who it was. I don't know whether it was the Churchill that said, "The Irish are so strange. They don't want to be British." <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, so we've been through an awful lot as as a nation. You know what I mean? And we're probably one of the or probably one of the biggest populations if you brought into account the whole world. Like, when have you never been walking on a show somewhere and there's some Irish lad over in the corner? There's always, always. an Irish there's lad. All, there's always oh, an Irish okay. lad at an MMA show. Always an Irish lad. I just want to go back and... I just want to pick up on something you said a minute ago. You said, you know, you were two months out or eight months out, I think, from from that Dublin show. You were saying, I'm going to be main, main event. Do you Are you someone who believes in that kind of law of attraction in, in you know, I'm going to think, I'm going to say out loud what I want and and bring that to existence? Yeah, because I believe that anyone else is is like is a is a higher power or um, I don't want to say the government kind of working away. If your brain is leans towards that thinking is stupid, thinking that what you want to get uh, before you get it and then you get it, that's lunacy. That was that, that's common sense. The ability that you go out to nine to five and work the same job as everybody else and think that you're gonna have more than everybody else. It's ridiculous. Is everyone that means everyone's doing the exact same thing on the exact same way, thinking that, yeah, but I'm going a different direction than you. You're not. You're paying the man. You're walking now. Obviously, there's not people that walk only the four are absolute heroes to me. Do you know what I mean? I just could not motivate myself to get out of bed every single day to, to walk towards someone else's dream. I just couldn't do that. You know, now and as I said, even my own, even guys that walk for me now. So say, yeah, like, I couldn't get myself a job and now we have people walking for me. That's mad, isn't it? Mate, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, what you've, what you've achieved has been, it's mind-blowing. So say, lads, that walking for me. I make it under no illusion that they're, like, this, like, I say to them, boys, this is your job. That's your career. Put your time into that. Use this to pay for that. And when you're ready to move on, let me know and we'll give someone else the opportunity to be able to stand where you're standing and put, Point towards their career. Yeah, I think I think especially in this in this day and age, I say this this is the only day and age I know. I don't know what's been done before, but <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of people think, and maybe it's to do with social media. I don't know, but people see people achieve things so quickly, and they only see the end result. You know, someone becomes a movie star, a pop star. Someone someone walks into a UFC cage, boom, they've achieved that thing. No one sees the hard work that's gone before. And you say you've got a graft. You've got to go and have a let's call it a normal job. You know, people, have, people go and work, as you say, in coffee bars while they're trying to become actors, while they're trying to become athletes. They do a hustle. They might not boast about that on social media because they don't want to tell everyone they're doing that. They want to tell everyone they're following their dream. But people have to realize that you've got to hustle. You've got to do those things to pay the bills. And so long as you're taking it and investing it in what you really want to achieve, that's how you achieve your dreams. You can't just stay in bed all day going, hey, I'm going to be an influencer, a movie star, an MMA athlete. Unless you, you go and achieve it. And sometimes you've got to finance that with other things. And you know what the worst thing is? That sometimes, if you look at, if you look at 50 to 1, uh, say, bet, and I'm not gambling, man, but sometimes people win a 50 to 1 bet. That's why people put 50 to 1s on. All right? So when you're in a situation that sometimes people do lie in that bed, Andy, and do do fuck all, and then all of a sudden they become insta-famous. So that... That, that works against what me and you would be trying to say advice-wise. And you know what we would be called? We would be called haters. <laughs> and I think you're right. Someone could win a 50-to-1 bet. You could lie in bed all day. I'm sure if you tro- 
go through YouTube. There's a whole bunch of YouTube people who haven't done a lot, did some videos, and they've, they've done well of that. And that's, that's cool. But I'm a believer, and I think you probably think the same way, that if you go out and you work hard, you're going to make your own luck. Or you're going to get better chance of, of becoming it 10 to 1, 5 to 1, you know? Yes. Go out and, and find you, you that. And you become who you are. Yeah. You look, it shapes who you are. Like, you know, like the idea of like, you when you're going through a job, you you learn and that you become up, you learn about the public, you learn about people, you learn about all of that. Like, and if you think that you're going to jump into a situation um, where you're famous and know how to deal with that because you are born knowing how to deal with that, there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? You have to be able to go, you have to go through the grinder a little bit to know who's who and what's what and, and how you can talk to people and how not to talk to people and how to, I won't say use people to get to your advantage, more how to not let people use you to yeah. their advantage. And I think as well that when you, if you've got a dream, if you have to work, you have to graft to achieve that, when you get it, it's so much sweeter. Like if someone, if someone handed you a million bucks right now, you'd be like, great, this is amazing. I'm taking that million bucks and stuff is sweet. But if you go and graft and work and, and you earn that, you do something to achieve that, to achieve your dream, it's so much sweeter because you've done that, you've earned it, rather than just being gifted to you. So I think the journey is part of, part of what you want to go through, however tough it might be sometimes. Like it's like this as well. I say to people, think about because um, I always try to explain it in a way that I would understand or that someone else would understand. Because say if you're starving, all right? If you're starving, a packet of noodles will look like like everything to you. And the more hungry you get, the better they look. But if you've just finished a big huge meal, oh, someone couldn't pay you to eat a, bag, a packet of noodles. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's it, it's it's the urges that you're feeling in your life. So when people are coming up. They're starving and they think that that million euro and that thousand euro, the minute they eat that, that's all of their focus on, that's everything. But then when you get that, you realise that you can only spend a euro at a time or a few euro at a time. And that when you buy the things that you want and the things that you need, then it just becomes money in the bank account and it becomes kind of boring again. You know, so at the start, the game is that you hustle to try and get money so you can have everything that you want to do. And then you get everything that you want and everything that you have. And then what? Then what do we do, you know? So I think if people if people got like to kind of realize that it's not the be all and end all. Like I, I was only talking to someone yesterday and they were saying, I just want to go off and have a penthouse and have 20 boards up there and and, and, and like boards of girls over here, you know. So this is the way he was you call it so you know what I say. So this is what he was saying to me, and I was like, But then 20 girls are gonna have their own brain and their own life, and they're not gonna like you the way you think in your head now that they're all like they're going to be singing every time you come into the room and there's 30 of them mate there's 30 problems 40 <laughs> brains 30 people that need to go to the toilet you know what I mean like, there's, there's logistics issues here now you know where I mean? are they going to sleep 30 yeah, exactly that's what Jesus. I mean. who's going to feed them all Andy it's a lot of new imagine how much bog roll you've got to buy for 30 people the hand soap everything shoes imagine going to buy a pair of shoes Jesus like 40 Christ so, Jesus these jugglers are not thinking about these logistic issues that, that would occur with these dreams. Imagine trying to sit down on a Sunday night and choose a Netflix show when there's 30 people trying to chime in. It's bad enough oh, with me and the missus. Yeah. Like, it's Like, you've literally... 30 people, you probably have everybody on the planet's personality in one room. Do you know what I mean? Screw that. So, I'm, I'm trying to explain this and just, no, just don't see what you're talking about at all because I know where I'm going. 
and you're a hater because you don't agree with me. And it's like, now oh, I'm someone that's probably going to teach talk you logically where no one else would, and I'm going to give you a little bit of advice saying it's not going to work, and you're probably going to end your life's probably going to end up in the, the end of a bag of bleeding drugs somewhere, or, or somewhere in some bag of depression pills or something, because it's impossible that that's what makes us happy. I think I heard a good, I heard a good thing the other day. I think, I think Hold on, where is it? Is nippers? Wait, hold on. Yeah, loads of nippers at me door here. Yeah, Paddy Hill, Paddy Hill in hand, loads of nippers. The What's the story? What are you doing? Say how is. How you going, guys? Hey, how are you? Hello. How are you? Know, this lad does. This lad does all the commentating for the wrestling. You know WWE. Yeah. 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 I'm a fan of WWE. I'm a fan of WWE. <laughs> Andy Shepard does all the announcing and all. He's a ring announcer. He is. See this fella, Andy? Yes. This fella mentally is. Really? Mentally. Yeah. We know his dad, he grew up with his dad, Deco, right? But he is bleeding mental, this lad. Is he a YouTuber? Is he a YouTuber, yeah? He was a YouTuber, Andy, okay. Well, this might yeah, be on YouTube. Was Andy so. down my side entrance? Yeah, he was. You were? No. Of a camera there, right? Of a camera on the yoke, and I'm going to yeah, check he... it. Now, if you were down the side of it, there's going to be absolute war, right? Because that's you don't go past that door because that's that's when it comes that's when it comes a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, can I tell you yeah. something? Yeah, but don't be down that side, right? Because yeah, you? listen, my man lives down there and she gets upset. You wouldn't want your man to get upset, would you? Him, no. I'll tell you who's down there as him. well. Him and him and Lou walked up and said, Get out. Cheers, mate. Cheers. It wasn't me, you're lying. Cheers. Now, listen, we believe him because I have a camera there and he said, Was well, it really open up black hair? Because the woman next door told us all to get out. I'm really. Did the woman come out and tell us to get out? Did the woman next door come the out and tell us to get out? Listen for a second. Paddy, you are a man of the people. Listen, mate, look at this. Scram like on down there. Oh, this is proper counsel, Andy. Did the woman next door come out and tell us to get out of it? Yeah. Did she? The woman came out and said uh, to to them to to get out, and he said no, and he's still back in. So we told him to get out, and we all get. Go, oh, man. Will you come up and tell me? Yeah, next one. Cheers. No, no, listen. Time. It's grand. Don't worry about. It. Just don't come out down the side. Knock into me. Listen, mate. Knock into me. If you need an, and then we sort it. But don't get down the side there at all. Cause listen, you know what? If them dogs are out there, right, and they're not in the kitchen. They'll jump over that fence and they'll eat you, man. I'm not messing. There's two of them there. And if it just happens to be that they're out the back rather than being in the sit room, and you go out the side entrance, what am I going to do when you're eating? Can I go down and tell you that, I would? He's born down that one. Born down that one. All right. Well, they're not eating me and I'll get it for you, yeah? I love your T-shirt, mate. Look at that T-shirt. Look at that. What? Oh, look at that. Got some sequins on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to close this door over, are right? You are right, mate? Oh, look at your slippers. Thomas is hang engine. Well, oh, I man. want uh, along to um, the, the Grizzly. The Grizzly? The Grizzly and Lemon Spoil. Got it off. I took uh, it. <laughs> I'm going to close this door, Louis. So look at these ourselves, Louis. Paddy, that was beautiful. You like, And that just shows like how tight the community is with you. I mean, I live in London. People don't do that. People don't talk to each other like that, you know? It, it's beautiful that you've got that kind of community there and that, you know, your face is part of it. Your face is on a wall. Yeah, man, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's mad. There's a, a group named Subset did that. So they, they've done it with a good few people. You know, the Katie Taylor. Yeah. They've done it with just ordinary Joes. That are oh, just I saw like, the Katie yeah, Taylor one, yeah. Just um, heroes in that community. They're very good. Let's, let's rewind back to that, to that last fight of yours. First, how did it feel when you walked out to that three arena? You know, that's... Anyone who, who likes MMA, who particularly likes Irish MMA, you walking out into that arena, 
it sends shivers down people's spines. Because you wear your heart on your sleeve. You wear, you know, you're, you're not afraid to show your emotion. You're not afraid to let people in. And I think that's part of the reason why, why you've grown such a huge fan base. That's what, because I just said, fuck it. That was, that's it. Fuck it. It's, the, it's, the, it's probably one of the best things you can get. You know what I mean? Because you're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel like doubtful. You're going to feel like, so it's just like, oh, it doesn't even matter. I'm fighting another man in a room, in a mm. cage, and that's it. Everything else is regardless. Right now, the idea was like, like, like I probably could have got a better, an easier run if you must in the UFC. Um, but like I called Lewis Smoke, hey, I wanted to fight him. Do you know I, mean? I didn't want no easy fights. I didn't want an easy fight, so I wanted him. Um, and because I just, I just knew that 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 Hawaiian warrior spirit that he had as well. You know what I mean? That that would be present, and that we could just. I don't know. Maybe you're looking for your own this miss something. You're looking for a hiding. And you just don't know it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're trying to, you're trying to, I don't know, like prove yourself against the, the, the best of you must. And that, that's what I was trying to do on that day. Um, so that, that's how I ended up with Lewis as, 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 a part, as an opponent. Of course, that fight didn't go your way. Um, <laughs> but I love what you said at the end of the interview um, with Dan Hardy. Dan says, what are you going to go and do now? You're like, I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm going to have a cup of tea. Um, I was bollocked. It's just, again, just, you let everyone in on your emotion. It was amazing. But... You weren't to know, but that was going to be your last fight, and it, what what a way to go out! Top yeah. of the top of the card, three arena. Of course, you would, would have liked the win, but I think people don't, people don't really remember, especially in May. People remember less the wins and losses. They remember the emotions. They remember the moments. The decision, the the, the final decision. Yeah, you know, hit or miss, but it, it's the journey to that decision people remember. Um, so you, you know, you of course you hadn't got that win there, but. Yeah, your popularity was just skyrocketing. This Irish wave of MMA fighter, um, of course, Connor was you know on that upflow at that point, and you were you were part of that wave, the SBG wave. And then you found out you couldn't fight again. That was no, that was uh, that was like I was kind of coming down the hill for a little bit, so I, I I was just worried about that. You know what I mean? That was always on my conscience. You know what I mean? The idea of like, because the thing is, it's so upsetting. It's upsetting that like. You get people that can do PEDs, that can do drugs, performance enhancing drugs, and then punch other people in the face, and then get a little banned, and then come back. That, I can't stand that. It does my head in. And then you've such you've such sports like you, you can climb Everest if you want, and there's a good chance you're gonna die. But you're still allowed to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was more of the, so, the so annoying just, to me. In case people don't know, what what was the reason that you had to retire? So I was born with. Um, a, a blood disorder called factor 13 deficiency which is 1 in 5 million so the only person in Ireland that has this blood disorder is me like the only person in the whole country wow. could have been the lotto what Andy could have been the fucking lotto <laughs> you know but, yeah, you'd have rather that million euro than the blood disorder oh, you can't pick it you know I mean? or even the euro millions that would have been the equivalent oh. of the euro millions one person in Ireland Jeez. but anyway so um, it, what happens is, is your ability to recover is it's not it's not altered, but the the fact that that that, that seals the clot in your blood in your body is not. I don't make that, so I have a zero amount of that being made. Right. But what I do is I I can I take that, so I take that factor as like a, say a supplement basically, and then that makes my factor and my level just as good as your level. So we could print. I could give you a blood sample on the day before, and uh, give you two blood samples on the day before of me and the opponent, mix them up, not put a name in them, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. There's no difference in them. Uh, the thing is, though, when you Google factor protein deficiency, it comes up straight away. Increased 
um, increased in cranium bleeds. So which means blood clots on your brain. Now, it doesn't help that when I was a kid, I had one of them already. <laughs> so, so it kind of it doesn't help my case in a way. And it's not that, it's not a fact that I think people are like, like people think, oh, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I'm not like that. I'm just in a situation where an insurance company is not going to touch me. But I can go to Everest tomorrow and climb if I want. That's great. So how, I mean, your, your career was on the up. Finally, you were getting to that point where this dream was a reality. I'm, I'm sure at this point you're a full-time fighter. You're, you're making a big name yep. for yourself. You're providing for your family, which is, which is really why you started this journey in the yes. first place. And then, I mean, you were, by, you, you were still far from your peak. You were just on the upward swing. How did it feel to have it all ripped, ripped away from you? And oh, there was, was nothing miserable. you could do. I was, I was scheduled to fight Willie Gates in Rotterdam when I was two weeks before I had this. So I was well into a camp as well. Now, um, like, Willie Gates was dead sound about it and all, like, um, but I would have folded him like an envelope. And I'm telling you, I would have, like, in the situation after losing in Dublin, I was coming out and I was a whole different fighter. I started working with a different strength coach. And I just, I was just not, not, I didn't change my strength coach because of any reason. Only the reason that was more, um, it was more sort of efficient to get to, you know what I mean? So it wasn't taking a load of my day up trying to get to it. It was just all there. And I felt, I felt better than ever. I felt the weight was off, the pressure was off me to be kind of, I, I knew who I was. I was starting to discover who I was. Now I'm 31 now. So, like, if you think of it, like, the way of Faber fought at 40 there the other day, that's nine years, like, Nine years. Put this in perspective. You and Connor are the same age, aren't you? Give or take a month. Same age. Yeah. Same age. Yeah. Crazy. Same age. So, so technically, if if someone passed this, and then I could fight again, you know, if someone said that, okay, what we'll do is we'll. And but the thing is, it's like that. When you get when you get kind of when you get dumped, if you must, <laughs> people don't give a fuck, Andy. And that's what I'm realizing now. You know what I mean? Like, I, I reckon. I reckon if I say if I had to be in Connor in my situation and Connor had to retire because of a blood disorder, I'm pretty sure that probably would have been everything in the world done to make sure that probably could fight or that, I don't know, there would have been a million researchers on it if you must, you know what I mean? Because a lot of people are making a lot of money off of Connor, you know, like well, we, we know what the, the money he generates. And if whoever is responsible is losing out, they're going to do whatever they can do. So if somebody had did this, I don't know, say someone had did this for me, but I'm pretty sure there's a situation where we could fight. There has to be, you know what I mean? Do you, could we not do stick you, a doctor beside the cage that's an expert in this and pay for that or whatever? Have, that you, have you tried? Have you have you in any way fought it, or did you? Yes, I, 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 but when you're fighting something like this on your own, you're very yeah. much an MMA fighter fighting on your own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Very much saying, "I want to fight there." Like, yeah, okay, so you know what I mean. So what they what they wanted, they wanted a letter off a specialist that was my specialist to say that I could fight. If we walk in there as a hundred percent fit human being, there's a good chance you're not getting that letter. Do you get what I mean? Because yeah. doctors doctors are not gonna put a name specifically to something that's gonna be like I said it's a good idea for him to fight. Because if it comes back on them, it's, it's probably not because you can't, but if the worst were to happen, it comes back on them. So Absolutely. who's gonna sign that thing? So Absolutely. I mean, when so I used to do athletics. My, I started off as an athlete when I was a kid and for years, for probably the best part of a decade, competing is what I did. It wasn't fighting, but I loved competing. I loved lining up on that start line and, and that's, that's one of the things that kind of defines you. You know, that's who you are. You, you live to train. You live for that excitement of, of competing, whatever the discipline. And I know when I stopped that, there was a, there was a big hole and I wasn't doing my thing at half the level that you were competing at. And you, you were in your sort of late 20s when, when you had to stop. 
what what did it mean to you when you had to stop because everything you were again you were defined by this for well over a decade how did how did your life change how did how did you take it um I'd say, well, mainly it wasn't great, to be honest. I wasn't in a great place. And the mad thing was, I, I was kind of, I was launched into a, a different situation while I was going through all of this as well. And, and as I said, the amount of people that ring your phone when, when these things happen, is not the same amount of people that ring your phone when things are going great. Uh, they're not the same smiles that you get off people when things are going great. So it's, and that, that does something, I don't know, maybe if I could go back, that I would be able to deal with career a lot better known, as I said, because you share that loyalty and you share that love and, and that like backing people up and all and if you had been able to see into the future you probably would have been like maybe I'm in this a little bit on my own you know so I would have been able to I'd like to be able to do that kind of thing but now it is suppressing not good but I got launched into a situation where I was opening a gym at the same time um, had, you, had you got the gym thing lined up while you were still fighting you'd already st- started making some plans yeah so the other idea was that now the gym the gym thing was, was many years many many years before so it was a long time ago we decided to uh, do you know what? We want to open a gym out of this. So I went and got qualifications in sports leisure and all this kind of stuff on how to open a gym and what to do, management and all of this kind of thing. So <laughs> then the time came to open up a gym, but then there was a year, there was about a year or two in the gap where we were looking for a building. And then it turned out where an investor came on board and it was like this fox catcher bleeding investor. You know I what I mean? I remember we spoke about this actually. I told you about like, and even then at that point, man, you was going through that and it, like we would have conversations. I remember you being like, "Shit, man! Like that doesn't look like that from the outside." And I'm like, "Look, I was look if I wasn't if I wasn't a strong person mentally, you know what I mean? I don't know which way that direction could have gone. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I lost my career, and then I was in a situation where an investor that was kind of like, mm-hmm. now that uh, and it was actually said to me like, uh, "Oh, we'd have to renegotiate this now." I'm like, "Why? Because you're not a UFC fighter anymore." And and I'm talking to people that like people that are supposed to really, really care about me and say, like, this is what this person's saying to me. Do you understand that? And it's like, ah, that's grand. Don't worry about it. And it's not fucking grand. It's not grand. I don't feel grand where somebody that we don't know is coming and saying these things to me. Do you know what I mean? So when I was in that situation, and then, as I said, the fox catcher thing broke down because your mom's an absolute... Just, it was just weird. Weird on every on everything. They tried to get me to sack my girlfriend and all. And it was just, just a crazy thing. And you know what I mean? And like... This is after me being retired, and, and as someone has commented and said, "I'm like different now." You know what I mean? It's not the same situation now because you're not a UFC fighter anymore. Now, That's crazy. And no, so this is this was the investor guy that invested on the on the on the gym at that time, and so I lost the gym out of the, at the back of that. So I lost, like I made, got pushed to all different things. They wanted to pay me like what you would get paid to work in Tesco. To, so, so, to, so you just lost your career. Something that you'd had in the back, and you know, again, you're a sensible guy, you're a very clever guy. That you're in UFC, but you're starting to set up things outside, you're planning for your future, and your career is cut very prematurely short. And now, this thing you've been working on for a couple of years is turning into a nightmare for you. That's mentally, that's got to be a tough, tough place to be. Oh man, it was rough. I remember one day just walking away from that thing and just saying, Do You know what? Because if I don't walk away from this, I'm gonna end up, I'm gonna end up killing somebody, I'm gonna end up doing something, something stupid. Because I'm getting to a situation where every single day I've got two or three people. I don't, and I felt like they were like they were doing this on purpose in a way. I don't know whether to run me out or to break me or to do whatever. But these 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 are these little little situations were becoming big situations. And then I'd be dealing with one person one day, and then the next person the next day, and then and it was like the there was a revolving energy there, and I just didn't have that because I was just me on my own. 
So I, I be but argue with my girlfriend over there, she be arguing with me, and then when we really think about it, it's like this is this is like a setup. This is not logical at all. It makes no sense. Like this is all going well. This should be just going well. Like I can't make people happy in this situation because for me to try and make people happy would just be unlogical. This thing is going great. So it got to a stage where I just had to walk away from that. So one night, one night, nine o'clock after a whole day, there was another meeting about another fucking problem about paper clips or something. You know what I mean? Stupid. It could be paper clips, like, or it could be paper, or it could be. <coughs> say I was ordering paper for the gym. Somebody would see that order and decide that we didn't need paper and cancel that order. And he'd be like, Where's the paper? No, such and such cancelled that order. Why? He decided we didn't need it. But he wasn't even in the fucking country that day. I know, yeah. Now, this is the new receptionist. Her name is Mary. She'll be looking after things. Who the fuck is she? Oh, we hired her. Sound. Right. Did anyone tell me? So oh, this man. is why you just... Did you just walk away one day from that? I just walked away. Do you know what? I had money put away. And let me tell Tell it. Tell it's my hometown. You know what I mean? And these... Like, I was being told, well... Well, fuck off then if you don't like it. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, I'm not. We opened this gym. We filled this gym with my people. And I was like, no, no, no. They're here for the gym. They're here for the lovely mats and the lovely paint on the walls. And as I said, through all of this, I was trying to liaise with, I was trying to liaise with John and all through this. And I was just, I was just left on my own. That's basically how I was left on my own. So I bounced. I bounced and did my own thing. So what like I was going to do, I was going to do, I was doing, going to be doing this if when whoever was there, I was doing this before anybody came to the page. When I walked into that SBG up in there, Black Hill, and I kind of fixed my mental, my mental being. I knew this is what I needed to do. I needed to bring this closer to my to my own people and help fix their mental being, if you must. And that was the main thing about it all. So that's what I was in it for. So I had the money pushed off to the side because I knew this was coming. I had signed no contracts because I hadn't been paid for the first few months and stuff like that in this place as a trial. I was on a trial and. Oh, no, the UFC fighter that's from Tallet in the gym in Tallet was on a trial. Do you know, so it just got to a stage where it was like, do you know what? These are taking the piss out of me, and my life is not going in the right direction. So I'm trying to be, they're trying to mold me down into a coach now. Just grind me. I was coach already. I was qualified at that already. So we had the qualifications, had the time, had the experience, had everything, and it was going. Let's and let's let's pay him a Tesco wage because basically that's what it would have been. It would have been. Something like two thousand euro a month, seventeen hundred euro. Tesco. If I was walking in Tesco, packing the shelves, I wouldn't be making the same amount of money. Without the you hassle. I mean? So yeah, so, without so, the hassle. So you, is it, you walked away and you, you've set up your own gym, haven't you now though? Yeah. So then, so what I did is I went away. I went back to my community center. That's what I did, Andy. So my community center is Tala Leisure Center, right? And because when I left that gym, I think it was a hundred, two hundred and seventy-five people left with me. So, so when you left the Foxcatcher gym, everyone came with you? Everybody came with oh, me. They, they yeah. were there for the paint on the walls and the nice soft mats, weren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. And, and it, 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 we had to pull that parachute card to find that out. And then it was like, oh, come back, come back. So there's no going back. You know, you obviously don't know me. You know what I mean? You should. You, you, you had Messi there in the situation to be running this gym and, and signing this gym up. Okay, it, it goes back to this community that... You're at the heart of this community. People look to you. And it's that loyalty that you've got there. Absolutely. And it's, I'm loyal to this place. You know what I mean? But that's, as I said, but, so one night I done a thing where I asked everybody that was supporting me to come to my local leisure centre and, and then we were going to figure this shit out. And there's a mad picture on so I think, like, I think like 87 people turned up or something like that. 
and it was in a few days notice. Uh, I took put, took mats out, rented the leisure centre out like old school karate days, and start and put the mats down. <coughs> and, and we started teaching classes again. So we started teaching classes there. And while I was doing that, I was trying to secure a building. I secured a building. While I was teaching in there during the day, then during the night, I was going and sleeping in the building and building it, literally. So I literally put the mats down. I had other guy, Jim Donnelly, who started me off on this journey, um, who built a lot of the SPG gyms as there is um, himself. Um, he came with me. and Well, Jim was obviously with me because he's always with me. And he was building with me as well. And then other people would have been giving me a dig out on it. And then all of a sudden, you want to see this place I have now, Andy. I am not messing. We have an absolute... Uh, we've got a video coming out soon. We're putting a flow tank into it now. So we're putting like, you know, these new flow tanks. Yeah. Yeah. So we've flow tank in. We've infrared saunas. I have a barber's in it. I have two studios. So there's one fully recording studio in it with a boot, everything. Oh then there's word. one fully fitted out podcast studio. There's a, there's a, there's a, a physiotherapy room. There's a full kitted out gym. There's an upstairs jitsu mat. There's a downstairs jitsu mat. There's, Female changing rooms, male changing rooms. There's an office. There's a five-star shop. There's there's lots in it. You know what I mean? How many people and, are members there now? Oh, it's probably over over three hundred. I think members Mate, now. That's you know crazy. I mean? Mate, that's crazy. Mate. But the thing is, it's like it's it, it's the long way. I didn't have to come this way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't have to come this long way. I was forced to go the long way. But can, and it's horrible because it goes back to your work ethic. You know, you've just from those days when you walked into SBG, you knew you had to work hard because you had a, had a dream to achieve and, you know, you've, you've grafted to get this. And going back to the community, obviously in the last couple of months, you have become a counsellor. You've, you've gone into politics, which I think a lot of people would have been surprised by. You know, thinking of a UFC fighter, especially so young, coming out of, you know, you're only a couple of years out of, out of the cage to enter politics. It's, it's politics, it's not a sexy thing. It's not a, it's not a popular thing. It's not, there aren't many popular politicians it's a way to piss people off pretty quickly because you've got to do certain things but you've done that um what was the thought process behind stepping into politics <coughs> so i don't know if you, uh, well, obviously because it's such a mess over your way as well at the moment i don't know oh. if you're into politics you know yeah. if you think it's a mess over here it's a mess over here Andy. this place is in bits we are being robbed by everybody we are like we have starbucks over here that don't pay tax that don't pay corporate tax over You've here. You've got a lot of companies yeah. that go over there. I think I, I can't recall the names, but I know there's quite a few companies. I might be getting it wrong. Is there a Facebook or something over there? They, yeah. they, they've come over there because of, well, I think I think the tax incentives. Yeah, it is. So the tax over here is only 12.5, a right corporation tax. So it's 12.5. I think it's 20 odd or something in England. Uh, it's, I know it's, it's 19. Nine, I think it's coming down to 19 in the next few years, 18 and, and down yeah. a bit. But so still significantly more than yours. Yeah, absolutely. So 19 is in a, in Poland now. So 19 is probably one of the lowest around, and that's in Poland. But we're 12.5, right? Which means that it's very good to do business here because your corp your profit of your corporation tax is only 12.5%. So all you have to pay that on me, Jim. But Apple and Amazon don't pay that here. But the reason is, and the people people butcher me over saying this as well, because you're like, yeah, but they'll leave and we lose all the jobs, and it's like. Well, we have to be, we have to think of a better way then because they're not the government, they're not the country, they're not the history in the country. So we're going to be making a big mistake if we let these big companies come over here and we have to bow down to them like they're the government or like they're the leaders or something like that because they're not. And when they come in, if they're getting twelve point five percent, which is the cheapest in Europe already, and people are saying, "Yeah, well, the taxes are going to go up and they're going to charge them," and then they leave, where are they going to go? 
where are they going to go? They're going to run off somewhere else to pay more expensive tax. No, it's ridiculous. So over here at the moment, what's happening is that companies that, that, that should be paying this country, the country's being privatized. It's being sold off down to roads. Down to, they, 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 they're trying to do this with the, 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 the hospital now. I can see this coming up now because what they're doing is they, they run it off. So if you see something getting bad, Andy, right? If you see social housing getting bad, if you see uh, hospitals getting bad, if you see they're getting ready to make it so bad that they privatize it. And then if you go into A&E, you will have to either run a marathon, which is staying there for 16 hours before you get seen, or you can go across the road and pay 230 euro or 250 euro, and you can be out in 40 minutes. So it's your choice. Now, when, listen, when it comes to sickness and stuff like that and all, all bets are off the table. Classism should be off the table that happens. Now, we know that you say you a free healthcare. So when I say free, you know what I mean? Over here, I went to see a doctor the other day for the chest infection. And it cost me 125 euro. Guess what? We have a chest infection now. Still, we don't. I have to go back to a doctor. It's going to cost me another 125 euro to tell him what we already know. So th- there's no. So if you go see a doctor, regardless of the ailment, you've got to pay him some wedge. 50 euro, 60 euro is what to see the doctor. And then you have to pay for the medication, and then have, which is which is all all cool, right? But if you're paying tax, and we're paying tax, and all of these companies are getting away from tax and not paying tax, well then then it's not cool. Mm. You know what I mean? We we should be walking in a situation where we're looking after our citizens. But this place doesn't. We have homelessness over here now, right? That ten thousand people plus are homeless, right? We've known that this was going to happen for about four or five years. What they did is they privatized the market, so they stopped building social housing. Okay. So they stopped building social housing. So private sector would be the ones that had to look after social housing. And then they throw it up in the air of, yeah, well, what do you expect us to do? We don't get free houses. Them foreigners get free houses. Immigrants get this. And, and they fight us amongst each other on the lowest level. So they try and blame us to blame each other. When the only people to blame is the people that are the leaders in the country. They won't build the housing, right? Because now what happens is that they sell off public land. So they give public land and stuff like that too to developers and what they do is they build houses on it and they sell the houses now if you're going to buy um, if you're going to buy a, f- a three bedroom house say in my house in the state it would probably cost you 280 grand alright three bedroom house now listen to this if you go down the road seven minutes down the road which would be a, a, an area called Terenura Temple Oak that will cost you about 480 grand jeez Okay, now homelessness is dealt with with hotels. So what they're doing is they put people in the hotel rooms, Andy. So they have children go to hotel rooms with their moms and their dads and living there for two years, waiting on accommodation. Okay, so we've had kids over here, right? There's reports and all now that the kids, the kids are not developing right. The kids are not walking right or crawling right because they're living in hotel rooms. They have to eat chippers every single night because they've no cooking facilities for them to go into. And then you know what they'll say to you? If you go to go on and buy a house, you couldn't buy a house. If you walked an industrial job and your girl, your wife walked an industrial job, you couldn't afford to buy a house in Ireland. You wouldn't get a mortgage. So you know, we're in a situation where they've made it so bad, they don't know how to improve it, and they don't never have to deal with it. They're building a hospital. Here's another one over here for you. And this is the, I'm only telling you the reasons why I agree with the politics, because I can't sit here and watch this shit happening and not say something about it. So they built a hospital over here, the, the National Children's Hospital. Everybody agrees that it's the wrong place to build it. It's right in the middle of the city centre. That's already chock-a-block with traffic, right? 
they're never going to have to use that hospital because the air government's kids don't go to that hospital. They go to a private hospital. They go to maybe a doctor coming out of the house to see them. And they don't have to deal with the way we have to deal with it, but they make the decisions on the stuff that we have to deal with. Now, listen to this. This is the funny part. This hospital is going to be the most expensive building on planet Earth. What? <laughs> it's going to be in Ireland. How? Why? How? What? Because they made they made so many mistakes with it, with oh, the really? management of it. It's going to cost seven billion at the moment for a hospital. There's buildings in the boy that don't cost this for a hospital. I it's saw. I, I think it's. I think it's. Is it Apple or someone? I think they've got their huge headquarters out in California somewhere. I think that's probably in the same ballpark. And they won't pull back on this. We've asked them to. We've given them better uh, locations, better places to do it. Seven they billion. Pull back. Seven billion. I couldn't and even write that number out. If you told me to write seven billion on a piece of paper, I don't know how many zeros are in there. Me either. And that's what we're operating here. Hey. <laughs> they're perfect because they're operating. Then they have. They're trying to bring the five G in. Listen to this. A company's going to pay two hundred million of it. The Irish taxpayers are going to pay three three billion of it. Fee is to put in the, the word for this, and they're not too sure who's going to own it when it's all done. The taxpayer, you pay for no, it. No, it's not, it's going to be a private company, it'll be run by a private company, Man. and they'll make the money out of it with their, their mates, and that's how it works, you know. So, and I'm sick of it because the sad thing is, right, it's very easy for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the papers and the government and all of these people to make you look like an absolute scumbag for not paying one of these bills. So say if say if you didn't pay a hospital bill, it'd be like such and such didn't pay his hospital bill. He's a scumbag taking that money off the taxpayer. It's not from the taxpayer. Say you have the car parks in the hospital. So say when you park when you're going to the hospital, their government doesn't own them. They're all private. So the car parks that that, that sick people have to uh, park in, they can be mad money. They can be whatever a private company wants it to be, and they make all the money off it rather than. All that money going into, say, fund the hospital. Mm. That would make so what, sense and money. So, so what do you want to do? So you've come in, you've, you're now a councillor. What do you want so to do? So on the council level. Yeah. So a council level, what is it? I get, to, I, I get a vote for my constituency, my ward, which is Jobstown, or, or say if they're trying, to, they're trying to build social housing somewhere. Um, here's another thing is that nobody wants social housing anywhere that is a little bit, I would say, posh if you must, yeah. or uh, upper, middle class. So... I'm, I'm trying to get as many people as myself into the council that when it comes up to build a social housing plot, that they're like, yeah, yeah, you can build it, but don't build it near us. It's called NIMBYism, not in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to be, I'm a vote now towards against NIMBYism. So if we are, if a place, if, if, if a site is good to build on, we're building on it. And not in the case of where it's like, yeah, yeah, but we don't want social housing here. Here's, a, here's an example for you. <clears throat> We had to vote on a social housing thing the other day, right? Do you know what the first thing on the agenda was that they said that they, they were objecting to? That there would be anti-social behaviour. They don't know the people moving into this house. These people could be babies, children. But this this area had decided that they didn't want social housing because the number one thing on the list would be that it would be anti-social for them to have a, a social housing. So... If I, if, I, if I can't make a change in here, I'm definitely going to be heard. I'm going to stand up and say it to the guy that's saying that. See you, son. You're a scumbag for saying that. You shouldn't be talking about people like that. These are humans. This is what's wrong with the planet. So I'm at a scale now where 
I, I don't think I can make big changes, and that's 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 just being a straight. But what I can do is I can help people mm. and advise them in the right direction. So sometimes people get down the council and they get the wrong information, and then they ring me, and then I say, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> Here's the right information. Get down with this, and then they go back down, and, and you know what? The person goes, oh yeah, actually, you're right. So it's more like being citizens' advice or something like that, rather than being in a position that you can Again, change. It, it, it feels like just another extension of you representing your community. Um, what's, and that's what it is. What's, have you got further aspirations <coughs> in politics <coughs> as the years go on? Have, have you thought, thought about the next steps you might want to take? President of Ireland, Andy. Yes! President Hooligan. <laughs> president of Ireland. The Hooligan. Um, I, the president that represents the country, right? Now, I'm not saying I, I'm the best president of Ireland. I could be the president of Ireland, but... If I'm looking around and I'm seeing what's going on, as I said over here, like, like with the with the politics that's going on over here, that made me believe that I could do it mm. because it's so stupid. Like some of the stuff you're like, how does that not make sense? Paddy, go, I you would love it. if you were the president. I think again, it would just. What I mean, first of all, what a story, but also, I don't I mean you see a lot of politics. Now I saw a lot of the coverage around your, uh, <clears throat> around your campaign, but also when you won, and you just. You know, look, I know you, so I know this is all true, but you're just, you're just genuine. You are there to help people. You're not there to help your mate's business get a contract. You're not there for, you're not there for the PR. You're not there for anything, but you've got this desire to, to help and give back to everyone around you. Absolutely. And that, 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 that's it. I'm straight, Andy. That's, I, don't, I don't want anything else from this. All I want to do is I, I cannot, I can't sleep at night knowing that some, that, that, that there's, there's a girl down the road sleeping in a hotel room with, with four of our children all right, for two years. Like, and you know what the thing is? They turn them out of these hotels at nine o'clock in the morning because they don't want the homeless people staying around and they tell them to come back in the evening. All right? Some of the rooms, all right, listen to this. There's, there's hostel rooms during the week going for 140 euro a bed. What? Who's paying that, do you think? 140 euros for a bed. A bed. In a hostel. In a hostel. In a hostel, all right? This is... Uh, the government are paying this, all right? Now, Owen Murphy, which would be the, the Minister for Housing over here, his family are heavily involved in hotels. Heavily involved, right? The, 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 leading, the leading parties over here are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And one in three of the ministers in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are landlords. So if you go to rent a, be- a three-bedroom house now, right? or if you want to rent, say, a, a, an apartment over here, three-bedroom house will cost you €1,900 Euro a month. Right? The average wage is probably about €1,700 Euro a month. The rent will be €1,900. That's Euro crazy. Hey. Even if it's, right? a, even if it's now, a couple, after you pay tax and stuff, you, you can get the house, but you ain't got any money for anything else. You can't save. How are you going to buy a place? How are you going to do anything? We have nurses and firemen going homeless That's over crazy. here. Right? What, the mayor of Tallet, the last mayor of Tallet, the former mayor of Tallet, spent six months homeless. I know that sounds mental, Andy, doesn't it? Jesus. Six months, the former mayor spent homeless. Paddy, that's crazy, man. Absolutely, Andy. Mental. So I would, It's as crazy as me being elected member because that's the reason why because there's no one, like, it's so mental that I'm like, you know what? They need mental people like me in there. Has, has MMA, first of all, no, it's not crazy you getting elected. Anyone who's ever met you or spoken to you knows <laughs> it's not crazy. But do you, think, do you think the MMA world has 
has helped prepare you for politics in any way? Absolutely, on every scale, on every scale. All as all that gym thing and all as well. That helped me as well. Going through all of that, you know what I mean. Going through, um, like dealing with business, 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 business. all these business men, you know, like get up out of it. Think if, if you force somebody in a cage, I think you you can look at somebody and nearly judge what they're trying to do for you or or what they're trying to do against you now. And I'm just ruthless with that now. We just have no time for it anymore. I've no time for somebody trying to fuck somebody over. I've no time for somebody trying to help themselves, help someone else, but make it look like they're helping you. I hate that. I can't stand it. So I'm a lot more prepared now than I ever was. Like even two or three years ago, I'm a lot smarter now than I was. I was always streetwise, but I was never business streetwise in that way, you know? So so I am now. So I understand what, what has to be done. And now, and now it's getting to a situation where because you are elected, they'll come after you and try and ruin you now, Andy, you know, and, and it's and I'm worried to this. So I've said I've said this on the podcast a few times, like kind of like insurance in a way. And I'll refer to it when they are trying to burn you, you know what I mean? That's what they'll try to do. They'll try to make the perception of the publics of you tainted. So yeah. your words yeah. don't mean that anymore. And that's the way it is. And it could be over that, could be over something stupid or trivial, and that's how they'll do it. What does we spoke at the start of this about what success meant to you as a kid. Now, as you know, you've had a, a great uh, athletic career. You've, you've got a business, a really successful business. You're providing for your family, which really is what you set out to do at the whole start of this. And MMA, MMA has helped you do this. MMA has helped you set up that gym. You're providing for your family. You're now a core part of this, of this community. Moving forward and, and now, what does success mean to you? Um. Probably how my children see me. Um, I have two sons now, so um, I've turned and, and Seamus, um, and, and my girlfriend Chelsea. I just, I just, she's my rock. Like I just, like now, there's times when I can fucking throw her out the window like a rock, <laughs> like a dog. Uh, hypothetically, think uh, speaking, yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically, <laughs> not not literally. Yeah, a metaphor, yeah. You know, like he's, uh, he's domestic oriented. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But that's how they do. They ruin you. That's how they ruin you. They say one thing wrong. They say one thing wrong. Yeah. That's it. I've met Chelsea. She's lovely. I would not want to get on the wrong side of her. I think she's exactly. the hell out of her. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. No, she's amazing. Like she's literally, she's my, she's my, my, my bull in this. You know what I mean? She looks after me and knows that when I'm, I'm, I'm getting too crazy and I'm getting too bull McCabe on it. You know, I'm just getting, I'm freaking out. So she calms me down. So to me, the success would be. Not all, not money, not not belts, not not accolades, not nothing like that. But the idea of my sons looking at, like being able to talk about their father and have this mad pride in their eyes, I get this energy from talking about me. I get this idea of like, like I can't do that because my dad would be, my dad like would be not not shamed me. That's 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 too easy of a word. But that's that's not what we're like. That's not about the Hulahan way. Do you know what I mean? I'd mm. like them to have that, uh, that like, inbuilt in them as they walk through life. When I'm gone, when I'm well gone from here, when I'm floating around in the universe somewhere as an energy or something, and they can they can think and, and think back to their father and get an energy of them that that's not us, us that's not of us, that's not they would do. And, and they would help people and they would look after people because that's what hands do. That's what we do as a people. And as, as and, and the rest takes care of itself. That money and all, I won't say money and all comes with that, but it does because 
doors open and, and people like nice people and don't just be nice, be, be good for goodness sake is what the Santa Claus song says, isn't it? <laughs> be good for goodness sake, you know, so I'd like people to see that about me as a as my legacy, you know, I'm, yeah. and I'd be proud of me. And finally, just to wrap this up, because this has been a, a beautiful conversation, but if you were advising someone now, those kids on the estate, if you're advising someone now who's in the same position that you were when you were 12, running around and, you know, there wasn't really a defined path for them, what advice would you give someone? Well, I feel like an old man because I try to give it as much as I can to them now, you know what I mean? But, like, I wouldn't have listened to myself either, so I think I'm wasting my words, you know? So, and that's 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 the truth of it. But there's, there's so many different ways to give advice. If it, if it was to do with, if, say, if it was to do with, uh, I don't know, going down the long road of selling drugs or trying to be, that's that's how to make money or whatever, I always say to them, say, if I go to any of the prisons to do talks or any of the schools around here, I would say, if I gave you a million euro now today and said that you made it, there you've made it, what would you do with it? And that becomes the question, well, you can't put it in the bank, you can't go and buy a house out of it, you can't go and buy a big flash car, and there's a possibility that someone could come someday and just take all of that off you, everything. And for that million euro, now you have to watch over your shoulder or you have to watch over your kids' shoulders or when you go to school now, other kids are not as proud as playing mature kids and mothers don't want them playing mature kids and stuff like that. That's the price to pay for that big bag of a million euro. It's a big bag of sadness. That's what it is, you know? So, but if you go out and make a million euro uh, uh, the, the proper way, the Bronx tail way of your must when he says, you know, the working man's a fool. You know what I mean? He said, the, the working man's a hero. And you like to see them getting up every single day and walking a nine to five and, and doing that for their family. And you can look at that million euro and every single euro that makes a lot more sense yeah. to you than just having a bag of a million euro that you're trying to protect. And your ego will try and keep the, the million euro. I've got to protect this because this is mine and you're not taking it off me. But even if you earn that million euro and someone comes to try and take it, you'll probably end up in a conversation with them where you're finding out why they're trying to take it and, and how you can help them. So that million euro has a lot to do with it and a lot to say with how you get it and what you do with it. And, and, and how it proceeds. So that's why I say to Yorkless that would be trying to go that road. Somebody that was trying to just make it, I'd say to them, just never stop. Get ready to hit the wall. And when you hit that wall, slide over it and hit another one and then go again and keep going and going and going and going. Get ready for the downfall. Get ready for betrayal. Get ready for your mates to turn their back on you. Get ready for people to start talking about you because that's the sign that you're going the right way. Paddy, um, I'm going to let you go because this has been an hour and a half and I, I love talking to you. Um, it's been a while since we've done a show together and I oh, miss that, man. Oh, good to see you, bro. I know. I I'm going to um, let you go back to your family. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll be in touch, though, because I've enjoyed these conversations, man. Um, whether we're going to do a podcast or just have a chat, I've really enjoyed it, man. Um, and Daddy, big love to you. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you so much. I wish you the best, man. Good luck, brother. Thank you, brother. You take care. See you, mate. Same to you. I don't know if I could love Paddy Hulan anymore. What a guy. And that was a that was a decent length conversation we had, but he's got such insight into so many things and he, he really is an inspirational guy. And I hope you've all learned something from his journey. If you like that, please do subscribe and leave us a rating and a review so you never miss an episode of People I Want to Be Friends With. I'll see you next time. It's been a pleasure to be in your ears. Until then, take care.